1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining as is always my co-host, Nick Pilato. And we are rolling right through draft coverage. For those of you who have been following along, you've probably seen our video breaking down the linebackers. We've seen draft profiles on some of the top wide receiver prospects. The Giants might be interested in a pick 25 overall. We've done Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, More to come there. Draft interviews starting next week, most likely. Starting to lock down a few of those. We're going to get guests on, experts to break down different positions, sleepers, targets on days one, two, and three. Eventually, Nick and I will get to our giant-specific mock drafts. We'll get to uh, breakouts, sleepers, and busts for each position, or at least each important position. We'll get to day one, day two, day three targets. If you're waiting for all of that good stuff, and one more I'm going to kind of cram in there, which is our corners breakdown. It's going to come as we get closer to the draft. We don't want to waste the good stuff now because more people tune in as you get closer. So for the diehards who are already tuning in, God bless. Thank you. But be patient. That stuff's coming. But today what we wanted to do was we both found a wide receiver in this class who we really, really like, who is being mocked in way down draft boards. I mean, some people don't think he's going to go until rounds five or six. He might make it to round four. I don't really think he's going to be a uh, day two pick based on his profile, and he's certainly not being talked up as one. And it's funny, Nick, because you said before I watched him that this is going to be a Dan Schneier-type player, and I think at this point you're now like three for three on those Dan Schneier-type wide receivers dating back to Eli Moore from a couple years back who you watched and you knew I would love Um, And this guy is not like Eli Moore or Zay flowers, the past two guys you called. So what made you think I want to start there, Nick? What made you so sure that this was going to be a Dan Schneier type receiver when you're watching him? And just to spoil it now, we're talking about Charlie Jones, the wide receiver out of Purdue.
2: I thought that because it's a well-rounded game that he possesses. He's not overly flashy. He is not the biggest individual. But can he release off the line of scrimmage versus press? Yes. Is he a subtle and nuanced route runner who knows how to uncover against man coverage? Yes. Can he find the voids in zone coverage? Does he have that type of mental processing that is so coveted by a team like the New York Giants with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka? Yes. Can he extend away from his frame? And does he have soft hands? Yes. Does he win at the catch point for a five foot 11 wide receiver more than he probably should? Yes. And those five factors are the five factors why I was like, oh man, Dan is going to absolutely love yeah. this guy. And also he was a big 10 wide receiver for two separate big 10 schools, mind you, because this is a player who started at Buffalo, had a really good freshman year there and was like, you know what? I need to get a little bit more exposure. So let me go to the big 10. But back when he transferred, cause he's a little bit older of a prospect, damn back when he transferred, he had to sit out a year and wait for the transfer portal. So he did that, went to Iowa, which was a terrible mistake going to play for Brian Ferentz, not Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, his son, who is their offensive coordinator. Definitely not a conflict of interest there. And that Mm -hmm. offense sucks. Went there. Iowa misused him. So he's like, I I need to go to a pass-happy offense. Then goes to Purdue in 2022 and sets records at Purdue. And he just was able to shine there. So I just had this feeling that you would absolutely love this player, especially at the value that he's being discussed at.
1: Yeah, it's a knockout value. You, you outlined all of the things that I like. I mean, just think about all the things you just went over, Nick. It's such a complete profile. And you mentioned the soft hands, but it's also reliable hands. He only had six drop passes in his entire career at the college level. That's incredible. But the things that stand out about what you broke down and one other thing that we didn't even talk about, which is also part of his game, by the way, and the Giants legit need it, is he's an amazing returner. Like if you watch his highlights, returning the return as a returner at Iowa, this dude is weaving in and out of of um, tackles, weaving in and out of space, like finding lanes, just figuring it out in the in the punt return game. Not flashy in my mind from just the deep speed standpoint, though. Much better speed than you realize on film. I feel like he's a much better vertical route runner than you would expect. It did run like a four four three, which is actually not that bad. It's pretty solid for him even though he's a 5'11 180. I think everyone in this class Nick is just like 5'11 So It's just like the small, <laughs> the good receivers in this class are all so small. But specifically the things that you mentioned that stand out most to me about why I'm so excited about Charlie Jones as a pure value play in this draft is one him against zone coverage. I just love watching him just find those soft spots, understanding where to be because I just think about what were what do the giants need? And everyone could be like, Oh, they need a big receiver. Cause they have all these slot guys or, Oh, they need this. They need that. But the reality is in this specific system, what all they need over and over and over again is savvy, smart receivers who are good at creating separation and good at things like that, finding spots in zone, because that's the whole offense. It's get rid of the ball fast. And that's what all NFL offenses are. In my mind, these days, you want the vertical plays, you want the vertical shots. They're few and far in between. Um, you need someone who can do what he can do against zone. But the number one thing that really stands out for me with Charlie Jones, so that's one. The second thing is another thing you mentioned, his release packages, dude. Watching the Penn State game, and that was one of the ones I wanted to focus on because it was against a lot of those reps are against Joey Porter, who's going to be a first-round draft pick likely at corner. Dude, the way he releases off the line of scrimmage, there was one route I have in here against Porter. Um, It was a slant that he ran against Porter, and he made it look so much like he was running a vertical And then he turns it into just a slant route where he just creates so much separation with no wasted movement. And it's impossible for even a corner like Joey Porter to to stop him there. He had another inside release on an actual vertical route against Porter where he created the separation, stacked him and then Porter like held him. It wasn't actually called for a flag, but it's like definitely going to get a flag at the NFL level. Those are like the differences in what you see in the college game versus the NFL game like that will get flagged at the NFL level. And one thing someone mentioned to me, Nick, have you heard this before? I, or no one mentioned this to me, actually. I heard this on a podcast and it really resonated with me when I was just talking about how like those two routes specifically, the, the person, this was an evaluator of uh, college film, a draft guy. He was like the best receivers you want to find are the ones when you're projecting the next level are the ones who can make every single route they run look like a vertical route. It's not always a vertical route, but you make it look like a vertical route. And I feel like in a lot of ways, when I was watching, um, Charlie Jones. I feel like he does a really good job of that as well. And then the third thing I wanted to point out and get your thoughts on, and you mentioned it was just, dude, this dude at the catch point, <laughs> I mean, he's like five foot eleven, but I'll I'll be honest, dude. I liked him better at the catch point than Quentin Johnston. Not like, and it's not really even close for me between those two at the catch point, which is just an insane thing to think about. Every single time, there was one play against Penn State where he caught a three-yard like, in-breaker dude, and the coverage was like right on him. And he was just like, the coverage was as draped. Did you know this play I'm talking about? It was just a three-yard reception toward the end of that game, and it was fourth quarter. And I was just like amazed that the corner was right on him. There was another def- uh, linebacker, defensive back in the area. It was just a three-yard gain, and it was just like he caught it. Anyway, Like everything that's thrown near him, he catches. He had
2: two catches against Joey Porter that were like that. The one that was three yards, it was hard outside jab foot, went right inside. Joey Porter is all over him. And I don't know how he caught it because Joey Porter's (laughs) hand was in the catch point. But then there was another one in like the first quarter, maybe early second quarter, where it was a longer developing play on a horizontal cross. And Joey Porter Jr., who I don't feel like is always the best covering man coverage on these horizontal crosses, was right in Charlie Jones's hip pocket. But the ball was thrown pretty well by Aiden O'Connell in front. Of Charlie Jones and Joey Porter, to his credit, was right at that catch point. I have no idea how that physical cornerback wasn't able to separate Charlie Jones from the football. Because if you look at Joey Porter Jr., and I don't have the stats in front of me right here, but he was targeted like 15 times against Purdue. That was week one of last season. After that, I think he only saw like 16 targets for like the rest of the season. It was like some ridiculous stat like that, like where Purdue targeted him so often and he did a solid job joey porter jr but i gotta say even though he was in phase and he was in charlie jones's hip pocket on a lot of these plays charlie jones was still winning at the catch point to your point man about quentin johnston i don't even know if we should use that as an example because quentin johnston i'm gonna lie i like quentin johnston but it's because of his athletic upside he kind of sucks at the catch point especially for a six foot four wide receiver he's not great at the catch point leaves a lot to be desired there whereas charlie jones josh downs for instance another like five foot eight type of wide receiver is much better at the catch point than a player like quentin johnson just to that point
1: yeah that is a good point i was only kind of using him because that's six four you're supposed to be and it's like i almost meant to say like at five foot eleven he's somehow better like even taking out the whole six four thing like just overall better somehow than him despite not having that size i look at a player like 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 uh charlie jones and i'm like damn like when i'm thinking about like oh should the giants use it, the 25th overall pick on jordan addison if he falls or like remember before i was we were talking about like i'd almost rather just have josh downs at 57 than jordan addison i don't know now i'm thinking like charlie jones is going to be there round four <laughs> Would i was there that like there's a drop off there's an obvious drop between addison and jones but i don't know if i see much this incredibly higher ceiling with a player like Jordan Addison versus a player like Charlie Jones, to be completely honest in an NFL system. And there are aspects of Charlie Jones's game that I even like more than a player like Jordan Addison. There are aspects I like less for sure. And I think Addison's overall the much better prospect, but is he hundred to 150 picks better of a prospect than a Charlie Jones type to me? No, not at all. Like to me, a Charlie Jones to me is a day three guy, a day two guy. I'm, I'm sorry. He'll go on day three a lot because of what we didn't mention yet. You said he was an older prospect, but he's 24. Now we can go through the eight. Age. the age is an issue and obviously like the measurables aren't anything crazy i'll look at them right now just from the athletic standpoint 70th percentile broad jump 64th percentile vert jump 76 percentile 40 yard dash 80th percentile 10 yard split which is good because you can see it in his release off the line of scrimmage he does have that zero to 60 um just nine inch hands those are 20th percentile not what you want 40 uh 40th percentile arm length height and weight five foot 11 and, and a fourth and then 175 pounds which is fourth percentile so the frame and the athleticism numbers don't jump out at you. But man, the tape is so good with a player like Charlie Jones. And it's really exciting. The two games that I that I focused on were the Penn State game because it was Porter, and then obviously the Wisconsin game because it was against my team. And he absolutely tore up Wisconsin. I mean, his ability to just make those contested catches, not only the ones that are through contact, like the one you mentioned where Porter was like right on his hip pocket. The ones that are like away from his frame down the field where he just mosses people and you're like, what the hell? This dude's five foot eleven. He attacks the ball in the air. This is like a natural trait. We don't always discuss receivers, Nick. And I wonder like how you can measure it and if there's even a tangible way to do it. But some receivers, I feel like when the ball's in the air, they're always looking for it, they're always attacking it, they're always like finding a way to get their hands on it and then come coming down with it. And he's one of those players, man. When the ball's in the air, it's his. He wants that ball every single time.
2: It's a desire, right? It's that Tim Tebow effect. Remember, he's just a winner, man. He's just a winner. But I also watched the uh, Michigan game, the conference championship game. And dude, he had 16 targets, 13 catches for 162 yards. And there were so many instances where zone coverage was being kind of shifted towards his side and he just sat in the middle of the zone perfectly wherever the cornerback was, wherever that safety was. We alluded to it a little bit before, man, his understanding of zone. I feel like that is so important in today's NFL where so many defenses are running zone types of coverages. And I think this is the type of receiver who's going to understand how to manipulate match type of principal defenses. Because you kind of see that a little bit. You see that at the college level as well. And this is somebody, we did not even reared off his stats yet, 154 targets, Dan, 110 catches for over 1,300 yards with 12 touchdowns. You have multiple games with double-digit targets against Michigan, against Wisconsin, against Iowa, against Nebraska, against Minnesota, FAU, Syracuse, Indiana State. And then Penn state, like this guy was the focal point of Purdue's pass heavy offense. And he was only there for one year. So that's, I guess, one concern. If you want to look into those types of things, he's one year production because he was at Iowa for two seasons and he was at Buffalo in 2018 as a true freshman. So you can kind of nitpick that and be like, well, he only did it one year, but that is consistent right there. It's not like it was one or two blow up games. This guy was the focal point of one of the most pass heavy offenses in college football throughout the entire year almost every single game. He had one bad game, which was against Maryland. He kind of had that uh, Deontay Banks effect in that
1: game. And that's interesting because look, he had a good game against Penn State and a bad game against Maryland. Joey Porter, Deontay Banks. Now, not every rep came against those two players. But I, I can I didn't see the Maryland game, but I can only speak to the, the Penn State game. He had some really good reps against number three for Penn State. I don't even know who that is, but I, I liked a couple of the reps he had versus him. And speaking to what you said, he led the country in receptions one thing we've learned over the years, as and I, I say this as a fantasy football analyst because this is, you know, my job for CBS Sports is fantasy football. Um, and one thing we've learned in the fantasy football sphere is that we used to think targets were situation-based and things like that. We've learned over the years, targets are earned. The receiver creates targets by creating separation. So when you see a thing, a thing like this, like Nick was talking about, like – Heavy, insane target numbers, leading the country in receptions. That's because Charlie Jones earned it. That's because Charlie Jones consistently beat the coverage that he was facing. Like Nick said, he's amazing against zone coverage, but he also beats man coverage often against most of these guys that he's facing. Like Nick said, the only trouble he had was against Deontay Banks, who's going to be a first-round pick in this draft. That we're we're hoping he falls to the Giants at 25. I think at this point, he's probably number one on both of our wish lists. I'm guessing. I know he's number one on yours. Realistic wish list, I'm saying, obviously, with you know. God bless there's some guys that we hope fall to 25 that won't. But you also factor in the this Nick that I thought was interesting. He was also second in the nation in touchdowns. I like these guys. Like Addison was the same way. He had 29 touchdowns as his college schooler. I like these smaller receivers, like six foot or under, who are also touchdown makers, the guys who you can use in the touch in the red zone. And there was a touchdown he had against Penn State where it was the back of the end zone. He's coming across the, the field and he and he catches it away from his frame, fully extended, and then taps both foot uh, both feet in for the touch. And I'm like, look, in college, you only need the one foot, but I thought it was cool that he tapped them both in. Like, you know, prepare for the pros here. You get them both in, you show off to the NFL scouts. Like, look, I I know what I'm doing at the back of the end zone. I'm spatially aware of everywhere I am on the field. Um, and so man, he's a player I really like in this class.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
2: Same here. I remember in the Michigan game, to go back to that, he faced off against D.J. or I almost said D.J. Moore, D.J. Turner, the uh, possible first round pick, probably going to be a day two pick cornerback who just had an, an elite three cone. A lot of the plays he faced off against him were zone coverage. So I don't really want to knock Turner because he had his eyes on other routes that were kind of coming into his area. But there was one play late in that game where Charlie Jones won on a nine route straight up man coverage. Turner did an excellent job using his athletic ability and his positioning to just kind of get right into Charlie Jones's hip pocket. But the throw was a little bit to the inside. Charlie Jones. Is so prompt at adjusting his body to the football that he was able to kind of jump in front of DJ Turner as Turner just kind of kept using that momentum to go upfield. And instead of the ball getting either knocked down or possibly even intercepted because it wasn't a perfect throw, I think Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback, actually probably trusted Charlie Jones to do this. Charlie Jones jumped in front of him, hands in front of his face, made the catch. It was like a 30-yard catch downfield against one of the top cornerbacks in the class. So this is the type of player that Dan and I are getting excited about, Charlie Jones. And again, we're not talking about this guy in the first round or even in the second round. It's like, if this guy does fall to day three, you're bringing in a player. Yeah, he's a little bit undersized. Can he play outside? Sure. Sure, he played outside 88.4% of the time with Purdue, but can he do that at the NFL level? Maybe there's a little bit of a question mark. I think his release package is good enough to where he can have success, but you add him to the Giants wide receiver room and you're just adding another competent, smart route runner who might not be the burner that I feel like the Giants need. We could talk about some of those guys maybe a little bit later or on another podcast, but somebody who's going to significantly help this offense in 11 personnel, he could play in 12 personnel, what have you. I really just love his game, especially at the value.
1: Yeah. That's the thing with him. Like we're talking about him as the best sleeper value for the giants really in this class, in my opinion, wide receiver. And I feel strongly about that, but that I don't think that he has that potential to be, and I think he's going to go on day three. And I don't think he has that potential to be the day three pick that everybody looks back on. They're like, Oh my God, this is one of the three or four best wide receivers in the NFL. I don't really think anyone in this class has that. The closest player I would say to that would be Michael Wilson from Stanford, who I haven't seen much of for When I've seen, I can see the appeal. And he has that crazy injury profile, like all these things that are... And But he's like the true prototypical frame size that you might turn into that X dominant receiver at the next level. Charlie Jones isn't going to be that. But I think it's there's such a high likelihood that he's going to be a slam dunk from a value standpoint, immediate special teams value, immediately your guy that can get you third downs and key spots, beat zone coverage, beat man coverage, like you said, at the next level, because while he might not have the athletic profile, he certainly has the release package off the line of scrimmage, man. And one thing I like about his release package that just stood out to me, and I think you'll notice this too, just from like, this is something you you notice when you watch the film on these guys, because you're not just like watching the balls that the, tar- the plays that they're targeted on, you're just watching every snap of them. I love how, and this might be something you see more with other receivers, Nick, so you can tell me if it is, but I love how this is just such a weird, subtle thing, but I like how uh, even on the run plays, Nick, he's running the routes. Like, he's selling the routes, and he's running the routes, and he's, like, working on his release off the line of scrimmage on these run plays. So plays that aren't even designed for it to go to the football him at any point, he's, like, has a really nice release off the line of scrimmage where he jab steps and then gets that inside release and is, like, running now, like, a vert off of that. And it's, like, the ball's not coming to him. It's a run play, but I just love how he's working on his release package at all times.
2: He's got that 100% effort on every yeah. single play. Everything looks the same. It's going to be a run play, a pass play if the ball's coming to him, if it's not coming to him. Yeah, I absolutely appreciate that about his game. I have the synopsis because I did do an evaluation on him if you want it. It's a little bit quicker than the ones that we have done uh, in previous podcasts. Yeah, go for it. All right. So it's just Charlie Jones played for three colleges and was able to have an elite season for Purdue in 2022. That's a rhyme. He's a good athlete with strong hands who understands how to create separation versus man and zone coverage. Even when the separation he created was minimal, he was able to secure the catch in tight situations due to his ability to win contested catch type of plays. His floor in the NFL is a reliable kick returner who will make a 53-man roster for that ability alone. His ceiling is a starting wide receiver who would likely be a quarterback's best friend in high-leverage situations. He's not the biggest, and he's older for a normal prospect, but he is smart, tough, and dependable with an extensive history as an impressive kick and punt returner.
1: I love it, Nick. I really do. And I think there's there's more upside than people realize with a player like Charlie Jones because it doesn't jump at you with the athletic profile, but... Being, really, being very good at all the things that we talked about gives you such, such a, in my opinion, such a good chance to make consistent, uh, to be a consistent producer at the NFL level. Isaiah Hodgins is good as a lot at a lot of the traits we talked about. I think that's why he had some success. And even Richie James, who they're not resigning but played that role for them last year, is good at some of the things we broke down, which is why I think he had some uh, consistent success at times with the Giants last year. I want to talk about a play. Did you watch Wisconsin game? Did you watch the Wisconsin one? I think I
2: watched a little bit of it, but I didn't see, uh, I don't think I went through every single play.
1: Okay, that's fine. There was one play um, you might be able to look off after, but I want to bring it up anyway. So one thing about Charlie Jones' game that I like is that he set, like I said, he can make everything look like a vertical route, and he He can sell the outs and the inbreakers really well. So this was an out-and-up route by Charlie Jones, and you're just watching the Wisconsin corner get completely off balance after he runs the out, and then he turns it up on the out-and-up, and he has the space. He stacks the, the Wisconsin corner. He's He's got it. But it's a poorly thrown ball. And so he has to adjust to this out and up, even though he has the step and it would have been basically a walk in touchdown with a good throw. He has to adjust to the ball, which is high and behind him on the out and up. And he comes up with this catch. And you're just like you're looking at this whole thing from start to finish the out. The, the, the first part of the route, the out part where the corner is just off bounds, he could have won on that. Then the out and up part, the up part of the out and up where he just wins that and that way too. And he stacks the corner and he could have had a walk and touchdown. And then the final part of it, like the bad throw that's high and like makes him stop to, to come back to the football. And he mosses the defender on that one. He comes away with the catch. And it's just such a complete rep for me because he's winning in so many different ways there. And I just see that rep and I'm just like, damn, that was, that's the type of stuff that I get excited about watching these receivers.
2: So I did actually watch the Wisconsin game because I have a lot of plays in my notes that suggest that he was able to uncover against zone coverage. If I remember correctly, the Wisconsin game, he ran a lot of nine routes and he was targeted on a lot of nine routes. I remember there being penalties. Like, he, oh, yeah. he, like there was a lot of defensive penalties. I think he had one play where he was like ridden out of bounds and there was a penalty and he was able to get his feet back in bounds, establish himself, and then make a catch right in front of the cornerback. Just an absolutely annoying type of player to play against, <laughs> I would imagine, if I was a Wisconsin Badgers fan. Thank God I'm not a Wisconsin Badgers fan, but <laughs> – <ain't a> <laughs>
1: I don't know. What kind of shot is that?
2: (laughs) It's just a shot, man. But yeah, no, there were, there was a couple of times when, um, Jim Leonard did run zone coverage. It seemed like he was able to find that soft spot and do what we've kind of talked about this entire podcast.
1: Yeah, man. And there's a lot to like about his game. One thing we didn't even mention yet, Nick, that I thought is pretty good and has a chance to be better at the NFL uh, or as good at the NFL level. I think he has some juice post catch. Like I'm watching some of the underneath routes he was running for Purdue. And, and once he gets the ball in his hands, I think he's got an interesting way of like weaving and and finding space and understanding angles. He's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the best acceleration. I've seen a lot. We've watched a lot of receivers so far. I've seen a lot receivers with a lot better burst than him and post catch acceleration, but I think he does find a way to manipulate those angles and find the space. and, And I think he offers some post catch upside. What are your thoughts on that at the next level?
2: Yeah, I think there's some upside there just through navigating through traffic, really, and anticipating what players are going to do, knowing his blockers. That's one reason why he's such a good kick returner. I think he had two kick returns for a touchdown in his collegiate career, one punt return, one kick return. And as we said, that's his floor, right? Charlie Jones's floor is going to be the kick returner on the New York Giants. Yeah, the Giants signed Jameson Crowder, but Charlie Jones is going to offer a little bit more than a, what 29, 30 year old Jameson Crowder. I always think Jameson Crowder is a lot older than he actually is. And then I look at yeah. it and I'm like, oh, I always think he's been around for so much longer. It just seems like it. I mean, Washington, the jets and then Buffalo right. and now us with the giants, but that, that would be his floor. And I think, like I said a little bit earlier, man, that ceiling is a starting wide receiver. He can't operate the slot. He can't operate outside. So I just. I feel like this is a just a very high floor type of prospect and, and a player who I think fan bases will fall in love with. I mean, dude, the Giants fan base fell in love with David freaking Sills. OK, and I might get some crap from David Sills Army for that. But come on now, like <laughs> Charlie Jones is a far superior player than David Sills.
1: Yeah, David Sills Army, it, it's dwindling by the moment. It reminds me kind of of uh, Ramsey's Ramsey Bolton's army at the end of the Battle of the Bastards. There's just nobody left. And <laughs> that's that's it. That's it for that army. But you, you almost know, had Ramsey's Barden. Yeah. I almost said Ramsey's and I did. Um, Yeah. And I think even with a, a player like Charlie Jones, there is some Trump card potential with him, right? Like he, the way he adjusts his body and his body control in the air, man, and just his constant, the combination of his body control in the air and his concentration at the catch point, that's like, so there was one catch he had, I think it was from the, I don't think it was the Iowa. I think it was from Purdue that I saw where it's like, It's contested catch. The DB is there and he tips it to himself twice and then catches it. And it's, those are those like crazy concentration type catches where you're just like this dude at the catch point has really good. Like we've lost a lot of receivers, man. I'm trying to think if I've seen a receiver in this class so far, I haven't seen all of the receivers yet. And I haven't seen Tillman yet who we're going to get to. So he might be a good example of someone, but I don't know, man. Addison, Flowers, Quinton Johnson. I feel like concentration at the catch point and just total overall package at the catch point. Charlie Jones is the best one I've seen. I almost feel like... I don't know.
2: Charlie Jones is very good. I feel like Josh Downs is good. Especially I haven't watched a lot alive. of Downs,
1: but I've heard the same. Yeah,
2: Till, Tillman might be the best in terms of just using his physicality and the, just big, soft hands. There were times, though, and I think I marked this down in my profile about Tillman where I was like, ah, there were times where I was like, dude, come on, catch that. So there were a couple frustrating drops in 2022 specifically, but I, I'm a big fan of Cedric Tillman. I'm pretty sure Lance Zerline just mocked him. In a first round. So he's generating some first round buzz. And I understand it. If you need a big bodied X wide receiver, and yes, he's coming from a Josh Heupel's offense, but if you need that big bodied receiver, Cedric Tillman. If he didn't get hurt this year, we would be talking a lot more about Cedric Tillman than Jalen Hyatt. I don't think it's that hot of a take to say I'd prefer Cedric Tillman to Jalen Hyatt. It really just kind of depends on what style of wide receiver you're looking to. Just think back to how we viewed Cedric Tillman in 2021. I remember, and I'm not even the biggest college football guy, but I remember hearing about him at Tennessee after he had that dominant 2021 season. He just dealt with a high ankle sprain all throughout 2022, and Jalen Hyatt dropped five touchdowns in Alabama. So no one's going to forget that part of Jalen
1: Hyatt's profile. I think that's a good call. I Jalen Hyde's an interesting one to me. I think he, and we'll talk about him on a a future pod, we're, we're planning to. He offers a lot of what the Giants don't have as far as just that pure speed. But, man, those types of guys, like, you can use them. Like, so they come in, right, and they're running, like, deep overs a lot. They're running those types of routes, like, to try to stretch the defense vertically. But, like, how often is the ball getting there? I don't know. Like the ball doesn't go into that range a lot. So I don't know what their value is there all the time, especially if they're not actually making plays at the catch point, which I, which I'm not so sure he's going to come in and and do that. That's like a question I have with Jalen Hyatt. So I I worry a bit about that, especially now if he's only like some people view him as like, he has to start off as a slot only guy, right? He doesn't have the size to win on the outside. He can't beat press man at the NFL level. That concerns me. So I look at a player like Cedric Tillman, I I'm, I'm think I'm with you. I think I would rather gamble on that profile. I haven't watched them either of them extensively yet, so we'll get there. Yeah. But the profile, just in general, I like. Because if I'm going for that Jalen Hyatt type, I really want more of the Deshaun Jackson of that version. Like, I want, you ran the 4 2 and it's obvious 4 2 type speed when you watch it. And he has really good speed, Jalen Hyatt. Is it that Deshaun Jackson level? I'm not so sure. He didn't test like it, um, but he looks more like he has the game speed. So that's just something to think about as we get to those two guys. But Cam Smith did a good job against Jalen Hyatt in
2: 2022. And he was a line, you know, 12, 13 yards off the line of scrimmage. But he really kept Hyatt in check. I think Hyatt ended up having like 70 yards in that game, but it didn't all come against uh, Cam Smith, but he did surrender a touchdown to Cedric Tillman in the back of the end zone on that in that same game where Cedric Tillman just kind of bossed him a little bit. But I, I do like Cam Smith and I, oh boy, I'm falling in love with Emmanuel Forbes as well. Both of those cornerbacks. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I've I've watched Cam Smith and I'm just starting to finish up my evaluation on Emmanuel Forbes. And this will be content for, for later towards the draft, because I do think they could both be realistic options for the Giants at pick 25, but They're both very interesting players, and I'm very excited for that podcast that we're going to do, Dan.
1: Started watching a little bit of Cam Smith. I haven't seen Forbes yet, and the Forbes weight thing scares me a little bit. But Cam Smith, I think it was Clemson that I started watching the game. I've seen like half of the game of Cam Smith. And I do like how what you said, like when he's in off coverage, I think he does a really good job um, recovering on the vertical routes from off coverage. And I think his recovery speed was what stood out to me the fir- from my first watch on Cam Smith, which to me is a very important trait. because at the NFL level, you're going to need that against these NFL level receivers. But we'll talk about those players later. Let's get back a little bit more Charlie Jones, and we'll wrap up there. You already gave your synopsis. I'll just go over a couple more things that stood out to me. There was a slant and go route he ran against Penn State that was um, it was a blatant pass interference it was called for pass interference or hold or one of those it was just a fire route like the way he sold that go was awesome to watch like throughout running is great i think he does a great job on the inside releases that's where it stands out the most i think he's going to create a lot of easy layups for quarterbacks at the next level with his inside releases off the line of scrimmage and then one final thing the syracuse game did you watch that one from 22 i did not know okay that game to me is just such a good game to watch for Charlie Jones because he really runs the gambit of things you want to have for, uh, from things you want to see from a wide receiver. So I just had them listed and we can wrap it up there. But against Syracuse, he had one play where it was a toe tap sideline full extension with two arms. He had two catches in crazy contested situations. He had another catch, which was plucked away from his frame on a, and then, uh, over the middle of the field. Then he had one route a, a vertical route where it was just what I like to see the textbook stack the cornerback, get on top of him, and you got separation now there. And then he had another route where it wasn't that example, but then it was great ball tracking, which I thought he did a good job letting it track into his arms. And then finally, there's the things you see on almost every time you watch Charlie Jones, which is just him taking these massive hits in traffic over the middle, and yet the ball never hits the ground with him. He's taking huge hits and he's coming away with the football. It's just a complete game for me, that Syracuse game.
2: These two players are not alike at okay. all. But that quality that you just listed right there takes huge hits, gets up. Who does that remind you
1: of from last year's draft? Oh, I thought you were going to say from Giants history because I was going to say I like Hilliard. Okay, from no, last no. year's draft, because that's a good one from Giants history. From last year's draft, that quality. Uh, might have Very been, like, tough. Played Iowa in the championship in the
2: uh, bowl game and was oh. phenomenal. Yes. Wandell Robinson. Wondell Robinson had that trade. Now they're not even close to being similar. Charlie Jones is much better at the catch point. Extends wave does all those things. But in that game against Iowa, on that final, what I think it was like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, game-winning drive by Will Levis. Wandell Robinson was the go-to guy, and Wandell Robinson was getting obliterated over the middle of the field. Had to leave the game for like two snaps, came oh, back yeah. and just an incredibly tough player. It's one of the things that I love the most about Wandell Robinson, that and he was a running back who transitioned to being a wide receiver, so you think maybe he'll develop a little bit more as a wide receiver. It sucks that he had most of his rookie season robbed of him due to that ACL tear suffered against Detroit Lions, but man, The toughness factor is something that we know Joe Shane loves. Charlie Jones has it. I thought Wondell Robinson had it. So maybe that's one thing that the Giants will look at with this older type of wide receiver, something they kind of strayed away from in last year's draft, other than DJ Davidson, of course.
1: Let me ask you a question, Nick, and put you on the spot real quick. Okay. Say we were in, or say Wondell Robinson came went returned to Kentucky last year, came out this year. Who would you prefer, Wondell Robinson or Charlie Jones?
2: That's tough. Honestly, I think I prefer so many, and I hate saying this because I do like Wando Robinson, but I, I prefer so many other smaller wide receivers in this draft class than I do than I do Wando Robinson. Like, Wando Robinson was a top 50 pick by the Giants. Picked, what, 43rd, I think. Like, I think I'd prefer Tank Dell. Charlie Jones, I mean, he's he's in that conversation. I think Wando's a better athlete overall, like even on the field. But in terms of extending away from his frame, all those types of things, I think Charlie Jones offers more. I think Charlie Jones only, if I'm not mistaken, aligned pr- predominantly on the right side of the line of scrimmage. Can that hinder his profile going forward? I'm really not 100% certain because I didn't watch his tape at Buffalo and didn't watch too much of his tape at Iowa. I think Wando Robinson is more versatile. You can use him as a running back. You can use him in the backfield. And I know he had that terrible play. I can't remember which game it was, but he had that terrible play earlier in the season where they used him in the backfield and he missed an assignment and led to a turnover. I don't know. Do you remember that play? Yeah, I exactly.
1: I think it was a, I don't remember what exactly happened there, but I know the player referring to.
2: Yeah, so uh, I think it was a no, no, no. It wasn't a it wasn't a turnover. He like ran backwards and he yeah. tried to like make a bunch of people miss, and then it ended up just being a terrible, terrible play by Wanda Robinson. But I I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Charlie Jones might be a more complete wide receiver prospect. I think it does depend on what you want, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I asked you this because my answer is Charlie Jones here. If they were yeah. both in the same spot, like, and I almost feel like Charlie Jones is almost more versatile to me than Wando Robinson because Charlie Jones can win with releases off the line of scrimmage from the outside. I don't know if I've seen that yet in Wando Robinson's profile, and I don't know if that's a guarantee the next level. Like to me, Wando Robinson is a backfield or slot only type of guy right now at the NFL level. And I don't even really love him running routes out of the slot. You move Charlie Jones into the slot, and I think he'll be an amazing route runner right away. But I also think he can win with his release package at the you know at the end of the line of scrimmage, as that as that flanker wide receiver so you, you put all that and then I'm just going to take the wide receiver who has his kind of ball skills his kind of ability to adjust in the air his kind of ability to, to make crazy tough catches at the catch point and I kind of like how he runs the vertical routes better than Wondell Robinson too like so they took Wondell Robinson at 43rd overall Charlie Jones wouldn't cost their 57th pick would you take him with their third pick at 89 overall or would you be okay with that?
2: Would I be okay with that right now? I think the Giants are going to have bigger needs, possibly, than... I don't know. That's hard to say, though, because we're entertaining Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, and all these other players. Right, A 25-year-old player who's not a burner, who is much more of a technician than anything else, is that exactly what the New York Giants need? I don't know if it's exactly what the New York Giants need, but I don't think I'd be overly upset about it. It really depends on who else is on the board, what the Giants did with the first and the second round pick. I'm imagining it didn't go wide receiver in this scenario, right? So right. I think it, ma- it depends on a lot of other variables, but I think Charlie Jones's skill set might be worth where the Giants are picking. What is that, like 86? 89. 89. 89? Yeah, I think it's it's worth that. He's probably a top 89 player in this draft class. There's still some guys I need to watch. But to go back to the Wando Robinson point, just because I think this is interesting, like selecting an outlier type of wide receiver, smaller type of slot wide receiver. We we weren't in love with that pick. I think I, I use the adjective peculiar. It was a peculiar pick. I understand it because I don't think the Giants wanted Kadarius Tony on the team long-term. I think they knew that Kadarius Tony was going to be shopped. Patrick Leonard was right about that, even though he took a lot of shit for it. True. But if you look at this draft class, there are a lot of guys who are of similar profiles to Wondell Robinson. And I'm not trying to crap on our player. I really like Wondell Robinson, but I think I do prefer... Josh Downs to Wandell Robinson. I think I do prefer Tank Dell, even though he's like 166 pounds. That's where it gets a little weird. But if you same. watch Tank and... what's that?
1: Same just saying, same and same, bro. I would much rather those two players.
2: The thing about Tank Dell that's fascinating. Yeah, and it's it's funny because Emmanuel Forbes can get grouped into this as well. I don't think it's as big of a deal with Forbes. But Tank Dell, if you just watch him release off the line of scrimmage, like we talk about micro movements and subtleties. His body is just like going in every single direction. It, it's it's fascinating. Like I love that player. I really do. And I know people are like, hey, he's 166 pounds, probably be a day three pick. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes on day two. All it takes is one team. And I think if he just lands with the right coaching staff, he's going to be an impact player at the NFL. But if he goes to if a general manager loves him and he goes to a coaching staff that's like, I'm not going to use a hundred and sixty six pound player, he'll just fizzle out and everyone will be like, ah, Nick Filato's an idiot. He really liked this guy. But yeah. I'm telling you, man, get him with the right coaching staff and you can leverage that kid's skill set. Because just watch a film like it's there's I I would not want to cover that guy on an island. I really wouldn't. But I do. I I am a little concerned about the physicality because he is so small.
1: And I think in that sense, like he could make this podcast do as our biggest sleeper. If there was a better chance of him going on day three, I think someone will take him on day two. He's not as much of a yeah. true sleeper as a Charlie Jones type. Cause I've now seen one game of tank Dell uh, on tape. And then I saw a bunch of highlights because I've been watching Clayton tune lately, by the way, who oh, nice. uh, the giants are bringing in for one of their top 30 private visits. Let me tell you something about Clayton tune, the quarterback out of Houston. This is like, to me, the perfect developmental prospect to get six foot, two and a half. I just had it up, but I, I don't know if you knew this dude. He has an insane athletic profile, Clayton Tune. Um, I'm gonna get it up right now just because this is interesting because the Giants recently uh, brought him in. So let me just show you. I'm not. I'm not sure if you've seen this yet. So six foot two and five eight. So almost six foot three, which I like. Two twenty, which I like for a quarterback. Eighty seventh percentile three cone drill change of direction. Ninety second and ninety six percentile broad and vert jumps for explosiveness. 83rd percentile, 40 yard dash four, six, four 90th percentile, 10 yard split for the quickness and the acceleration. And he does use his running upside a lot at Houston. From what I've seen, he takes the running lanes when he has them. He's in a lot of ways, like to me, almost like the perfect quarterback to groom behind a Daniel Jones type. He's a lot like a Daniel Jones type from an athletic standpoint, though he's faster than Jones, more explosive than Jones, quicker than Jones, and has better change of direction than Jones. He's not as big of Joe as Jones. Uh, from both a frame standpoint, a height standpoint, a weight standpoint, I also don't think he has as good arm talent as Jones. But I will say this about his arm talent. It's not bad at all, dude. When you watch Houston, the the game I watched on film, and then I'm going to watch a few others, but it was the bowl game from this year. And then and I've seen a bunch of highlights now. But, like, there are some big-time throws on that tape, dude. And he also has a, does a really good job, I think, of just having quiet feet. Like, he's not hitching a bunch into throws. Yeah. And... Pretty good mechanics. It's pretty much like that up the same thing you see from like Jones. That like it's he's not didn't learn it from Cutcliffe. It's not as perfect, but most of the time the ball's up here and it's coming over the top with with Clayton Tune. He's a really interesting quarterback prospect, I think.
2: So just watching Tank Dell, I I grew to appreciate his game, but I did not realize he was that athletic. I knew he had some scoots to him, but I didn't realize he had that much scoots to him. Yeah, and I'll tell you another thing about Clayton Tune. He's two hundred twenty pounds. I thought he was like the two ten you know, around there, 220 pounds is pretty thick for a six foot two guy. So I'm actually kind of right there with you. There's all the, There's a lot of those day three quarterbacks that I like, and I haven't done an evaluation on them, but I've watched a lot of tape. So I just got to cross train them, you know? Yeah. Uh, Jake Hayner from Fresno state, I think is one Aiden O'Connell. I, I thought he was okay. He, he had yeah. some throws that are just like, what the are you doing, bro? <laughs> but like, there are plays where he is, he's really, I feel like he has a lot of trust in Charlie Jones, but there were plays throughout his tape that were impressive. There's stuff to build on there. I DTR see. we've talked about as well, but I hear like people be like, yeah, Max Duggan could be a guy, the giants, and I'm not into that really. No. Like, I'm not really into like the Max Duggans. not at all into the that world. No offense to Max Duggan, but yeah, tune O'Connell Hayner. Those are three, like day three guys that I feel like, and DTR obviously could be developmental players behind Daniel Jones.
1: Yeah, and eventually they're going to need it. Tyrod Taylor's contract runs out after this year, so they really could be in the market for a developmental backup quarterback. Like, oh, a what if they team. go
2: with? Hendon Hooker at twenty-five.
1: Yeah, then that's a whole different that, thing. Now you're into, you're you're jumping more into the Carson Wentz, yeah. uh, Jalen Hurts situation, which would be insanely interesting. I doubt. Brian Brown do was there at the time. It would be a wild move, but I yeah yeah I mean that would. No, be I'm crazy. not. I'm
2: not saying. I, I'm not saying I want that. I'm just joking. I but I will say this: I, I do like me some Hendon Hooker.
1: Yeah, you said that, and you never say that about quarterbacks. (laughs) Very, very conservative when it comes to your quarterback evaluations at the Caldo. I think I don't think you're doing that to, like, you know – um avoid getting cold takes i think you're just you in your opinion you need to see a shit ton of film to have any real opinion on these guys so and you've actually want to watch a lot of film on hooker you probably haven't on a lot of the other guys so i understand why you wouldn't want to have that kind of uh you know especially for quarterback yeah. which is the most impossible p- position to project to the next level it's like literally just so dependent on things we don't know like how go- how good are they reacting post snap how good do they see the field post snap very hard for us to figure that out. You and that's even difficult for
2: Hooker. That's even difficult yeah. for Hooker too in that offense. Yeah. Exactly. But when I see him from the far hash make a throw like 60 yards yeah. down the field pinpoint accuracy along the sidelines I'm like okay I'm interested. And then I hear all the glowing reports about this individual's processing off the field and what he's doing in meeting rooms. Yeah, I'm interested. But I pick 25. No, because the Giants, I mean, they're an absolute mess right now. They need a lot.
1: Yeah, that is not happening. I would say this just from and again, I'm not basing this on a million games of film, but I watch a few games and I watch and I project based on what I see from a skill set standpoint for a lot of these quarterbacks. I'm not sure there's a quarterback besides Bryce Young who throws a better deep ball than Hendon Hooker in this class. Yeah, there's quarterbacks like Richardson and Levis who probably have better arm strength, just, but that's not a deep ball. A deep ball is, can you change the trajectory? Can the ball drop right into the spot it needs to be? Can you throw that with anticipation? And Hooker and Young throw the best deep ball to me in this class by far. CJ man. I'm a big and CJ CJ's Stroud fan. CJ's is good too, but I think he's less I like him less on the deep ball, more on like the intermediate stuff, the outbreakers and the inbreakers from the intermediate range.
2: Yeah, Str- I, I'm a big CJ Stroud fan. I think yeah. that first overall pick is going to be fascinating. I don't think either is a mistake, but it no. does tell you something. And everyone's saying it's gonna be CJ Stroud. I could see why it would be CJ Stroud, but at the same time, like Bryce Young is He's a very good athlete I love watching him extemporized plays how he manipulates the pocket I mean he needs to do that if he doesn't he's gonna get killed and that's a big yeah. issue right when you're 204 pounds there's no way he was playing no. at 204 pounds and you have dexter Lawrence falling on top of you after a blown twist or stunt assignment. that's that's an issue man like that that, that position specifically weight is is one that I take a weight and frame I take you know very seriously.
1: As you should, for a multitude of reasons. One, what you said, longevity factor and holding up. But two, being able to see over your offensive lineman too, if you're short, um, just from the height standpoint of it. And I am worried about Young from his frame. But outside of the frame, I just don't have any issues with Bryce Young, which is why I lie. he would be my guy at one if I was going to take one just because I don't want to overthink it too much. And especially after hearing what did you hear what Daniel Jeremiah leaked? That was really. No, interesting. I didn't. So, Do tell you know, the S2. Have you heard of the S2 cognition testing? Yeah. It's supposed to be a really, really good test in um, figuring out who's good at, at how quick you can react to things post snap. So basically the thing that every quarterback separates themselves with, how well do they see the field after the snap? Can they adjust to what the defense is doing and get rid of the football on time and quick? And the S2 test has had the standouts from that test have been Brock Purdy, Drew Brees, Josh Allen, and then like one other massive hit have been like the highest scores ever. and. Jeremiah leaked, but the, but I reached out to the guy who actually runs the S2 testing, the, the founder of it, and I asked him for some scores because I wanted to find the Daniel Jones score. And he said, this is all private information. We cannot re- reveal this. We will not reveal this information unless the players sign off on it, um, and they reveal it themselves. And so Bryce Young didn't actually reveal it, but Daniel Jeremiah like leaked it on his podcast. But I'm saying, and I hate to say it out loud because I love Daniel Jeremiah. I hope this doesn't have any blowback on him. He's like my favorite dude in the draft community um, for analysis, but Someone else posted it. Some other uh, stupid verified check marks posted it. So I feel okay talking about it now because it's going to go back to him and boil back to him. But he said Bryce Young had the highest score on this S2 test of anyone in this class. And he also said that this the, the guy who actually had the, created the test said this is one of the highest. This is the highest testing quarterback class for the S2 test that he's had. So to me, that stood out because man, if Bryce Young is also going to be this like breeze type post snap processor with everything else that he has in his toolbox, it's really just comes down to, can that frame hold up?
2: I do find the Anthony Richardson and I'm there with you because I mean, that's obvious on his tape too. He's a very heady and aware player, Bryce Young, but Anthony Richardson, man, I mean, he has like no snaps behind him. He only really played this last season, But, but that type of upside. And if he is doing well in the meeting rooms, which I've heard people suggest that he is, I have no idea. And I don't know what he did on the S2 test, but like his major concern is accuracy. So it is kind of similar to what's going on with Josh Allen. And I, I am fascinated by a player like Anthony Richardson. And I just kind of put myself into the position where if Anthony Richardson, if there was an Anthony Richardson prospect last year and the Giants had the fifth and the seventh pick, I would probably have driven so far into the Gators tape. But would have, would Joe Shane have entertained that in in different circumstances with their opinion of Daniel Jones that year. So that's just kind of fascinating. Who knows? It's just one year difference, right? And we know how much the Giants coaching staff and front office have kind of flipped their understanding of Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones earned it and they were able to watch him grow within Brian Dable's offense. But a player like Anthony Richardson, like if he hits and he can correct his accuracy, even just by a little bit, we're talking about like, an insane type of player at the quarterback position with his athletic upside, like beyond Justin Fields type level, which is yeah, re- way beyond rare, that level.
1: Yeah. Which is rare, dude. Yep. You're talking about a Cam Newton or Dante Culpepper type player who both were amazing at for stretches of their NFL careers. Cam Newton won MVP, got to a super bowl. Dante Culpepper should have won, in my opinion, a couple MVPs on those Minnesota Vikings teams. Those were unbeatable. And then injury sapped him later in his career, but with the dolphins. And that's kind of what you are going at. I think with, Anthony Richardson, if he hits a ceiling, but there's obviously the huge floor, which I know you're well aware It's just with somebody like that. It's just a guessing game on projection there. We're going too far off and talking quarterbacks here. I want to wrap up with Charlie Jones and then one. And finally, a listener mock draft that someone submitted for iTunes. Remember, if you want your mock draft reviewed and graded by us, all you have to do is leave a rating, a five star rating. It has to be on iTunes and in your review, post your mock draft. And we will go over it as we go through draft season. Just remember, be patient because iTunes is slow to load the new um, reviews and ratings. So we may see it a few days, five, six days after it was written, but we will get to all of them. That's our promise here. But one final thing on Charlie Jones, I was I asked you before about pick 89. I would love to take Charlie Jones at pick 89. To me, that would okay. be one of their slam dunk, best type value type picks. Now, that's not the same if like Tank Dell's on the board. Then I have to, you know, it depends on the rest of these receivers. But my Guess right now, my best guess, Nick, is that this draft class follows exactly what happened last year, which is a mad scramble from every team in the NFL to get wide receivers early on. Like day two was an absolute mess last year at the wide receiver position. We had Velas Jones move up to round three at 26 years old. We had just disgusting amounts of wide receivers flying off the boards in rounds two and three. Teams are desperate right now for, for receivers and corners. So if that happens again and Charlie Jones is still on the board at 89 because of his age, because, you know, people don't see a ceiling, quote unquote. To me, it would be a slam dunk pick and one of their best possible value picks available at 89. I'm sure he'll be on my short wish list list as the time comes. But I also think he's going to be there on day three, too. So maybe that's one reason why I shouldn't get too excited about if they got him at 89. But this is definitely a player I see a lot of value in. And I know you do, too. Yeah, I absolutely
2: do. He's definitely an exciting player, especially, like we said earlier, due to the perceived value. But again, man, who knows? This guy can end up going in the second round for all we really know. Like I mean, I don't know. I don't envision that, but look how many surprises there were last year, just with the team that we love and the team that we cover with the Giants, where it was like, hey, it's day two. What's going on? Oh, Wandell Robinson. That's a little early. Josh Azudu. Hmm, okay. Cordell Flot. Oh, that, a lot of people thought he was going to be a late day three pick. And I think that they were wrong. I think Joe Shane did a good job scouting Cordell Flott and projecting and prognosticating his growth and his traits moving forward. Hopefully that comes to fruition this season, but who knows, man, anything can happen when it comes to the draft. It's one of the reasons why we love it.
1: Yep, you're right. All right, let's wrap up here with a mock draft review from Kalu Kale, who says, here's my five-round mock draft. Roast away. First round, 25th overall, no trades. He only does five rounds. Zay Flowers. Then he says, I would have loved a cornerback or a safety, but they were all gone in this mock draft simulator. Flowers is a pick I'm happy about, though. In round two, he gets Emmanuel Forbes, the corner. In round three, he gets Luke Whipler, the center. Then in round four, Zach Pickens, the defensive tackle. In round five, Tajay Spears is somehow still on the board in one of the most miraculous developments in the history of Giants draft franchise. And they get Tajay Spears in round five. Uh round five, and their other pick is Mohammad Diabati, the uh linebacker. So he says, at the end, I would have loved to have a safety, but it just didn't fall the ball that way for me. What do you what's your grade on this draft and any thoughts? Kalu
2: Kale, This is a Pie in the sky type of draft right here, landing a stud wide receiver like Zay Flowers in the first round to help your team create explosive plays and then coming back in the second round and somehow Emmanuel Forbes is still around. And Emmanuel Forbes, I really like his tape and I think he fits perfectly to what Wink Martindale wants. I don't think he's the best man coverage cornerback in this draft. He's elite at man coverage in terms of covering vertical type of routes and using the sideline to his advantage. Horizontal routes. I think he's he's sufficient at it. He's he's fine, but there are some transitions to where it's not fully clean just because he is so high hip. But for a player as high hipped as Emmanuel Forbes. He is still, I would say, damn smooth for a player like that. And you know, you need cornerbacks who can create turnovers. No one has done it like Emmanuel Forbes basically in the history of college football. When it comes to pick sixes, he had the most, he set an FBS record in terms of pick sixes, six throughout his college career in only three years. And then in round three, Luke Whipler, that's your starting center right there. Don't love the round four pick, not a huge Zach Pickens guy. I mean, at least at this point of the draft, it's, it's round four. You're talking about day three. He was a, a really highly regarded Kid coming out of coming out of high school, I believe he was a, a five-star recruit by a lot of different um, 247 and ESPN and all of them. He's never really lived up to it at South Carolina. So I don't love that. Taji Spears, absolute home run. And then DiBiotti is a linebacker from Utah, similar to a lot of other linebackers, a little bit more of an athletic type of guy, from what I understand, have not watched his tape yet, a little bit more of an athletic type of guy rather than you know the Jack Campbells of the world. But I have to say, Calo Cali, I am impressed by this draft and I would be happy with it.
1: What's your grade?
2: Oh, my grade. Hey, let's go with an A. Could have been an A plus, but Zach Pickens, I'm just if you, if you would have substituted maybe another defensive lineman in there, I would have been a definitely easy, surefire A plus. But God, you got to love Zay Flowers and uh, Manuel Forbes, Luke Whippler and Taji Spears specifically.
1: I'm going to go A minus on this one. I'm a little less enthusiastic about it. So so for Zay, for Zay Flowers for me, We went over his profile in this class. I think he's one of the 15 or 20 best players overall at any position. So it's a value pick for me and a good pick. But I think in any other, in a traditional class, he's not a blue chip player, a true blue chip player because he's five foot nine. And then I think about Emmanuel Forbes, who is probably again, a really good value pick at that point. But again, now you're going back to back with an 180 pound athlete and a 166 pound athlete with your first two picks. There is some inherent risk in drafting those types of like I still do to some degree, Nick, believe in the George Young Planet theory where you do just want size speed combinations a lot at the NFL level when you're projecting how these guys will face NFL competition. So I see a little bit of concern there. Luke Whipler. I'm not really a huge fan of him. I guess if they took him in round three, I'd be like, okay with it. Just to add some depth to the center position, some competition. But like, to me, like Ben Bredesen could easily be better than Luke Whipler from this point on at center. And like, you can find Ben Bredesen, a lot of Ben Bredesen's in a lot of different ways. I just, I don't need Luke Whipler personally. I know he's, he's pretty good. We went over his tape recently. I just don't know how that translates to the NFL level. And if that's any kind of difference maker at all at center. Uh, Pickens, a player I don't know much about, same with Diabati, but Tajay Spears in round five then brings this right back into, uh, the A range for me. The I, It's A minus total, but like that to me is like the best value pick you can probably at round five Tajay Spears. Are you kidding me? Like that would be insane. The Giants pony package, no offense to Matt Breida and no offense to, you know, uh, um, uh, why am I brave? Well, very well. Yeah, yeah, but dude, you're coming off the field. Tajay Spears is now the pony package running back. And quite frankly, I want him on the field a lot. I think he could be one of the best playmaker. If the Giants drafted Tajay Spears, I think a case could be made that right off the bat, especially with Wandel recovering from his injury. He's your second most explosive player outside of Saquon Barkley. You can use Waller will be your second most productive player or your first, depending on where you see Barkley this year. And if he can stay healthy, but Waller is going to do different things. He's going to stretch the seam. He's going to make contested catches, Body. he's going to adjust the ball in the air. Tajay Spears is the type of guy who could immediately take the ball to the house anytime you give him the football um, if they drafted him. So love that pick. So A-minus for me.
2: Nice, good, solid A minus. Would love Taji Spears too, and we'll probably be talking a lot about Taji Spears
1: as we get closer to the draft. Yeah, he's getting a profile because I'm writing him up for CBS. Anyone I do for CBS is going to get a profile here because Nick's <laughs> watched film on like thousands of people somehow already. And I'm lagging behind Nick because he is the man. He is the master of the of the game film grinding for these college prospects. But like I said, there's your mock draft. There's your eval on Charlie Jones, a player we're both very excited about and would love the Giants to target in this draft. Otherwise, keep it locked and loaded on Big Blue Banter. More content to come. Some of it already recorded, which will be hitting your feeds shortly. But a big week next week as well and in the coming weeks before the draft. So thanks again to anyone, everyone tuning in and supporting the show. If you want to help us, remember, please hit like on any of these YouTube videos. Please subscribe. Hit that bell button. Do the same with iTunes. Make sure you downloaded it or Spotify, wherever you get it. You got to help us grow the show, and then we will help you by providing more of this amazing free content. And I hate to say that because it sounds very braggadocious, but eh, whatever. It is good content, and it is free. Okay. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.